0: Today is our final sermon in the series On Track, Biblical Wisdom for Today. And appropriately, we're going to look at the final word. The final word. I hope you've enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed it. Uh, we've not just run through a proverb at a time, we've sort of gotten a smattering of proverbs and some of the other wisdom literature in scripture, but even bigger than that, looked at the big picture of how God made all things through his wisdom, how we are to trust and follow his wisdom, we looked at the wisdom of the gospel, we looked at how to deal wisely with situations in our lives, Uh, things like money, things like suffering, Uh, hopefully it's been very practical to you. But today we're going to look at the final word. I remember seeing a comedian once who came up with an invention that I think is genius. It was an invention for parents, specifically, a belt that had a number of buttons on it. And each button that you pushed would say a phrase that as a parent you get sick and tired of saying. This way you didn't have to exhaust yourself or wear your voice out, such as, you know, clean your room. Clean your room, get dressed, turn off the lights, that would be a big one for us. Flush the toilet. That's kind of important. Uh, you know, please do what I say. I could think of one that I would want to put on there. It would be the phrase, listen to me. Just just listen. Uh, Dad, okay, i got to do this. No, just listen. Okay, I'm going to... No, just, just listen. Please, just stop and listen to me. Sometimes my kids forget what I say. Right? I'll say, hey, can you... Go up to your room and get the scissors that you borrowed a week ago. Can you, can you go get them so we can wrap your Christmas presents? Uh, please go up to your room and get the scissors. I need the scissors to wrap the Christmas presents, okay? Do you hear me? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Are you going to get the scissors? Yep. What are you going upstairs to get? I'm going to get the scissors. Where are they? They're in my room. Okay. And you're going to bring me the what? The scissors? Okay, great. And they go upstairs. Twenty minutes later. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, Dad? Where's the scissors? Oh, I forgot. Really? Listen to me. Sometimes they do what they thought I said. Okay, go get the scissors. I need scissors. This is why I need them. Okay, okay, okay. They go upstairs and they come back with the scotch tape. That's not what I said. Well, I knew you were wrapping gifts and so I thought you would need the tape. I thought that's what you really... Really needed, no, I really needed what I said I needed. I need the scissors, go get the scissors, oh okay, sometimes they claim they don 't hear, you know they 're up in their room and they're they 're playing away and and i 'll be speaking ever so kindly and gently up the stairs. Hey, guys, uh, can you please come down here for dinner um, or you know bring the scissors when you come? Can you please come? No response. You get a little louder, a little louder. Soon the neighbors are peeking out their doors. You know, what is going on at the day household? He's screaming at the top of his lungs. The angels are gathering in heaven like, oh my goodness, what is all this, this raucous noise? And, and then, then a little pitter-patter of feet down the hallway and they come out, oh dad, sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> of course, you, that's selective hearing. That's what that is. But you know, sometimes occasionally, my kids do something amazing. Occasionally, they do something that I want them to do, but I didn't even ask. And and I'll just say, you know, maybe they emptied the dishwasher or something. And I'll say, thank you so much. Why did you do that? And they'll say, well, I know you always say that if we see the dishwasher full and it's been run, we should empty it. I'm not saying it happens a lot, but it does happen occasionally. And I love that. Because it shows that some of this stuff that I'm saying is getting through. And that makes for a proud parent. When it seeps into their heart and it becomes part of why they do what they do. And it's funny, I think, to look at the problems that kids have of listening. I don't want to put my kids on the spot too much. But really, when we think about it, don't we all have that same problem? Don't we all tend to forget what God said? We get about our daily lives and and we heard something in a sermon or we read it in our Bibles or or maybe we grew up listening to it, but then we're out on our own and and we forget. You know, Jesus is with us and that should make a difference. Oh, I forgot. Sometimes don't we do what we thought God said? Instead of really listening to what He said, we we say, well, I I just thought He meant it this way and I, I thought that was okay. And then we come back to God's Word and it says, no, that's not what I was saying. Please listen to me. Don't we sometimes just claim not to hear? Because we don't want to listen to it. We, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to be impacted by the truth of God's Word. So, today we're going to look at the problem of listening. There's a connection in Scripture between God's speaking to us and His wisdom in this world. Now, this is very obvious, but stick with me for a second. You see, when God speaks, he, when He speaks, He is communicating truth. Simple enough, right? All of God's truth is based upon what he knows to be true about the world. He knows it to be true because he made it that way. And so when God speaks, he is communicating his wisdom. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I want to look just briefly at how God made the world. And as you're turning there, I want to put into our heads Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. You go to Genesis 1. Proverbs three nineteen says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. This says that everything that God made, he did so according to his wisdom. Again, this is pretty obvious. God made the world work the way he knew the world should work. And the world does work the way God made it to work. So now we come to Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to think about the implications of God creating things in wisdom and through wisdom and how Genesis 1 says he creates the world. Let me just start in verse 1 and read the first three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. How did God make the light? He spoke. God could have thought. He could have imagined. God could have done absolutely nothing and light would have appeared. But the Bible says he spoke the world into existence. Now, in case you're thinking I'm making too big of a deal of this, one of the things we have to recognize about Scripture is when something is repeated, it's done so for a purpose. So we have verse 3, and God said, let there be light. Look at verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Let the dry drown appear. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. Verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Just a little bit of a pattern there, isn't there? God didn't get creative in his creation and how he created things. Oh, he was very creative creative in what he created, but not how he created it. He didn't, in one place, mold things with his hands and in another place, you know, design it on a computer. No, each day he said, I'm going to say it and it's going to come about. God speaks and the world comes into existence. Somebody from the first service, one of the woodworkers among us, uh, came up to me and said, you know, I've been working on gifts for my kids for weeks and weeks. It's amazing to think that God just speaks and the world comes into existence. You know, we struggle to make trinkets. We struggle to do things at our jobs. We struggle to file a report. We struggle to file our taxes. We struggle to get normal things done. In a little bit, some of you are probably going to struggle to wrap some Christmas presents Boy, that'll humble you real quick, won't it? We struggle for these things. And yet God just speaks and life happens. There is a direct link between God's wisdom and what God says. So when he speaks the world into existence, he is doing so through his wisdom. God created the world through his wisdom. Now this has a big implication in Genesis uh, in the early accounts. Another time that God speaks is Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. God speaks to Adam and Eve, specifically to Adam. look at verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden," verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it you will certainly die." And so God, in his wisdom, knowing how he created all things, he goes to Adam and Eve and he says, I'm telling you, I know best. I'm telling you all of this wonderful stuff is yours. All of it. Go for it. Enjoy it. It is all yours. I've given it to you. But this one thing, just this one thing, please trust me, this is not for you. Why? Because God is wise. And so when he spoke that commandment, it is through wisdom that he gave them that word of command, don't do this. Now look at Genesis chapter 3. Because into creation, spoken in wisdom, a question enters. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had said. He said to the woman, here's the question, did God really Say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, here's what's amazing. The God who just spoke the universe into existence is having his speech questioned. He's having his wisdom undermined by a creature who's putting a thought into Eve's head and Adam who is with them. Did God really say Did God really say? This question is a questioning of God's authority. You see, it puts Eve and Adam on the seat of the judge up on his bench, and it puts God down there as the one who's being judged. Did God really say is a question of putting yourself in authority over God. Oh, I have the right to decide if what God said was right or wrong. It's a questioning of God's authority. It's also a questioning of his wisdom. The question insinuates unfairness because the serpent knows full well that is not what God said. God did not withhold all the greatness of the world. It was just one tree. But look at how he asks the question. He asks the question in such a way that insinuates God is unfair, unloving, ungenerous. Did God... Really say you can't have any of it? This question is having its effect in Genesis 3 verse 6 when we learn that the fruit, according to Eve, was good for food, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. The serpent's question is putting a knife in and twisting it ever ever so subtly. God is holding out on you. God has something good that he doesn't want you to have. This question, I believe in many ways, is at the heart of all sin. All sin is either not listening to what God has said or not believing what God has said. It is a question over and over again, did God really say? And either saying, I don't agree with him or I just don't care what he had to say in the first place. Sin is a rebellion against what God says. It's a rebellion against the wisdom he has communicated When we sin, we are asking the same question as the serpent. Did God really say? And we're answering it with our own misplaced wisdom, which tells us, I know better. But sin has a further effect. You see, when we question what God says and we weigh what God says according to what we think is right, sin begins to twist our ability to accept reality, our ability to discern truth and wisdom. It causes us to be unable to hear further anything else that God says and to accept it. So we start by saying, did God really say, I don't really know? And then the next time we hear something from God and the next time and the next time we say, well, I know better. That's foolishness. Of course I know better. That's absolutely ridiculous because sin has an impact on us. But praise be to God, our God is not silent. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, at that moment in history, God had spoken to them and had said, here's everything I made for you. Here's the tree you're not to eat. Here's what will happen. And the day you eat of it, you will surely die. He had laid it all out for them. And when they ate of it, he could have said, okay. I've spoken. You ate of it. I'm not going to say another word. And he could have judged them at that moment. But we have a God who does not cease to speak. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I love the way Hebrews starts. Because all of Scripture is a testimony to the fact that God wants you to hear him. He wants to cut through our sinful rebellion. And he wants us to hear who he really and truly is. And Hebrews 1, verse 1 picks up on this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Let me just stop there. Because Scripture is not only a testimony of the fact that God wants to keep on speaking to us and He desperately wants us to hear Him, but it is also a testimony to the fact that we desperately do not want to listen. It is filled with people's rejection of what God says. We live in a world that is shaped by the question, did God really say? Our minds are clouded with the influence of that question and we're constantly trying to come up with our own answers in our own ways and frankly, we're not good at it at all. So there's the question. Did God really say? What's the answer? Well, if we go on to verse 2 of Hebrews... Verse 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Verse 2 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. There's the answer. See, the question went into creation from the serpent. And Adam and Eve bit down hard. Did God really say, I'm not really sure. Can God be trusted? Is he really trustworthy? Is he really speaking to us? And the Bible says, God has spoken to us in his son. In a few days, you're going to celebrate a baby born in a manger. A truth that the world struggles to understand. And so we've piled on all this other garbage on top of it. And we celebrate that instead. But Christmas is about the fact that God sent his son to be born as a poor person in a manger. And in that manger is the answer to the question, did God really say? Because Jesus is the ultimate communication From God. Look at verse 3 of Hebrews 1. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus was not some note scrawled on a piece of paper. It was not some prophet that just came and said, hey, God told me to tell you this. Jesus is God in the flesh. Come to say... You haven't listened to anything else. Now I've come to you myself. Listen. The Lord is speaking again. God sent himself. That's the wisdom of the incarnation. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh to live among us. The Gospel of John says this in a similar way. Turn to John chapter 1. John uses a different word. In fact, he uses the word, word. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. Now, even in English, we can see that the concept of a Word, the Word, is a communication. Jesus is the ultimate, clearest communication from God to us because He's God. I could try to write you a letter about myself or try to write a biography for you to get to know me, but if you actually spend time with me and me with you, we will get to know each other much better than any communication sent back and forth because we will see each other personally. And so God in his wisdom said, they're not listening. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to take on flesh and be born among them and they will see me purely and truly Then they will listen. But there's more to it than just that. You see, this word, word in English, has a powerful Greek word behind it. It's the Greek word logos, which means word, but it means much more than that. It also means wisdom. It means message. It means truth. It's this huge concept. In the Greek world, philosophers had a a burning passion to answer a question. What is the meaning of everything? What is it all about? They theorized that there had to be something underneath, beyond everything, foundational, this divine purpose and reason for which everything exists. They didn't know what that reason was. They didn't know what the purpose was, but they made up a name for the answer that they knew was there. Do you know what that name was? Logos. Logos. Wisdom. Word. They said, this is the foundation of everything. We can't describe it, but there it is. It's eternal. It's always been there. It's beyond us. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. We know it's there and we want to find it. And listen to the words of John again. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And I think the Greek philosophers could have listened to that or read that and said, well, yeah. This this eternal word, absolutely, John, you're speaking our language. That's what we've been saying all along. Now go down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's where the philosopher's jaw would have hit the floor. That's where their concept of the Logos of God or the Logos of the universe would have been thrown out the window. That that eternal truth could become a person, take on flesh, and live among us. That anybody could point to these great Greek philosophers and say, Hey, you want to know the meaning of everything? You want to know the greatest answer to the question in the world? He's right over there. Let me introduce you to my friend, Jesus. Think of the power of God dwelling among us. Jesus is God's answer to the question of Genesis 3. Did God really say? He is the final word. Yes, God has spoken. He has entered this messed up world. And he has confidently and eternally declared, Yes, I really did speak the world into existence. Yes, I really am God and am all powerful and all knowing. God says through Jesus, Yes, I really did tell you what was right and wrong. Yes, I really meant it when I said you would surely die when you sinned. And yes, I really do still love you and have not only spoken my truth about your sin, but have spoken the answer to your sin. Because I myself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, will save us. God spoke the world into existence. And he spoke to us by sending himself, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But we look around at the world. We look around at our lives. We look around at our families, our jobs. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle. And I say, okay, I see the question. I I see the answer, but I don't see the difference. Where's the difference that that question should make? Where's the restoration of all that God spoke about in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Because we're still pretty messed up. Maybe it's just me. You see, Jesus is the answer to that as well. The incarnation, the the all-eternal, all-powerful God taking on flesh and dwelling among us tells us something. In Jesus' teachings, we see God's wisdom in action a wisdom that the world could not understand. We looked at this last week. God's wisdom in action, changing how people thought. But that wasn't enough. We see miracles in Scripture, God's wisdom in action, revealing things about the world that we can't even comprehend. We see a world where the blind can see, where the deaf can hear, where lepers are touched and healed. That's a world that our wisdom can't comprehend. And every time Jesus did a miracle, He was peeling back the layers of this world that doubts the very existence of God and and the Word of God. And He says, no, let me show you what it looks like. He shows us a world where sin is paid for and washed away and where death cannot ultimately win. Jesus told us the entrance into that restored kingdom. That new creation. He began preaching in Matthew chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We hear that word repent as this archaic, oh, it's just doom and gloom. But what he's saying is that way that you're going, that world of thinking, you have all the answers. Just turn away from that because it's garbage. That's what repentance is. It's like saying give up that rotten, moldy piece of chicken that's been laying on the floor for five weeks and it's disgusting, give that up because God's got a seven-course meal for you. That's repentance. That doesn't sound so awful, does it? He says, repent. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we get from that world of did God really say to the world of God really did say? It's through Christ, the word. Jesus is the way. And then he shapes us, the church, Christians, imperfect, messed up and messy people. We need to own up to that constantly. Because the world so often looks at us and says, hypocrite. We need to be the first ones to say, yep, we are. Because we're still struggling. But God's not done with us yet. And in the church, there should be a demonstration, impartial, imperfect, of the kingdom at work. People loving each other in a way that the world can't comprehend. People holding on to a truth that the world says, that's silly, that's ridiculous. We are to live out the reality that God really has spoken. And then we have the second coming. Turn with me to Revelation 19. The ultimate revealing of the kingdom. The ultimate restoration of God's perfect creation. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Revelation 19 starting in verse 11 going down through verse 21. I'm not going to read it. You can kind of skim through it on your own. But I'll tell you what it's about. It's a horrific battle scene. This is Jesus at the end of all time. He's he's died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's, He's worked through us in the church age. And this is in the future. He's going to come back. And I don't care what your timing of end times events are. That's really not important here. What is important is Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says the whole world that can't accept what God has said says no way. We're having none of this. We're doing okay on our own, which really we're not so much. And the whole book of Revelation is a testimony to how messed up the world is and will continue to be. So the world says, we're, we're not going to have this king. We're going to throw him off. We're going to overthrow him. And they gather all of their military might and resources together. And they say, we're going to fight this guy. So Jesus shows up with his army as well. And there's one weapon mentioned in the whole army. Look at this in verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, that's Jesus, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And you say, well, there, see, I I can't follow a Savior like that. I can't follow a Savior that just hacks people up with a sword. That's not what it's saying, is it? See, where's the sword? It's coming out of his mouth. What kind of a warrior puts the mouth in his sword and goes around swinging it? No, switch that. Puts the sword in his mouth and goes around swinging it. That makes no sense. Because in Scripture, a sword coming out of the mouth is always, always, always a reference to speaking judgment. Jesus speaks and the battle is over. That's his weapon. Look at verse 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the, what? Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus speaks and the battle is over. And the question, did God really say, is forever silenced and will never, ever be uttered again. And the world that has existed constantly questioning what God has said will realize suddenly and terribly they were wrong. But between now and then, God has spoken a word of salvation and grace. And He offers to us the acceptance of that word that He can save us right now. So I ask you, and I ask me, what are we listening to? What questions are we allowing in our own head? Are we constantly allowing the question, did God really say, I don't really agree with him, I don't think he truly meant that, oh God, I'm sorry, I just forgot. Are those the questions we're allowing? Or are we listening to the Logos, the Word, the wisdom, the answer of Jesus Christ? That baby in the manger, he's the answer to that question. God really has spoken. He came. He dwelt among us. He died in our place on the cross and rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And He has spoken a word, an offer of salvation to all who will believe. God has spoken. So how do you know if you're listening? Have you accepted that answer? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Are you listening to His word? the bible are you listening to his word about you god's word says we are sinners we need to accept that word too it's harsh it's hard but we can't change god's definitions of sin we can't diminish sin and say it's no big deal to do so is to rob the cross of christ of its glory and its power if our sin is no big deal then why why would god take on flesh dwell among us and die in our place if sin is no big deal the cross is a word about the horrific greatness of sin. But it's also a word about grace. Because as we look at ourselves and we say, God can't save me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the bad things I've been through that others have done to me that I've done to myself that I continue to do. You don't know. I'm a horrible person. And yet God's word says there's grace. The word of Jesus Christ can eliminate all of that. Wash it away. And there is a kingdom. God's word says a word about the kingdom that is here and is yet to come. Find out what it looks like and live that out now as ambassadors. Imperfect. But so the world can look at you and say that doesn't make any sense. Why are you living that way? And you can say, "Cause God said so." Let me show you what God has said, and you take them to Jesus Christ. Say, "Let me show you, my friend, Jesus." Let's pray, Heavenly Father. God, we are so often like kids who just don't listen. And we think we know better, and. F- God, as, as a father myself, an earthly father, I get so fed up with that. And yet I think about you and how you must look at me. And I think if you were as frail as I am, you would be so fed up with me. And yet I praise you that your word says something so much better. You are not frail as I am. And instead, you are loving You are gracious, you are truthful and honest, but you also show mercy. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who is questioning you, may they look to that baby in the manger, the word who dwelt among us, and may they see the answer, the answer that they've been searching for with maybe not even realizing it. And Father, as we struggle through life following Jesus, knowing hopefully that we are saved, but as we struggle, may we also listen to Your Word and say, I will trust You instead of questioning. God, I thank You for Jesus Christ, the final Word, the final answer to all of our questions. In whose name we pray, Amen.